We're continuing a series through Ephesians um, called Square One, getting back to basics, getting back to the, the foundations on which our, our faith and practice are built. And I say faith and practice because we, we've turned the corner now and we're getting into the part of the book of Ephesians where it's kind of, um, in some ways I feel like this is sort of the climax to the book. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are kind of introduction and and basic doctrine, rich doctrine about salvation and, and what it means to be saved and what that means uh, for the believer individually. Chapter 4, it, the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4 is like this, this, um, this, this huge point we're going to talk about this morning where he's talking about unity in our lives, unity in the body of Christ. And then the rest of the chapter is kind of how that plays out in our lives um, in different arenas of our lives, um, as, as parents, as spouses, as, um, as individuals, as people, as employees and employers in the workplace, and, um, and then in the quiet moments when it's just, just ourselves. And so um, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4, um, we'll go ahead and, uh, and start reading. <clears throat> We're going to read, uh, starting in verse 1 uh, through verse 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, encourage, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, that is the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of one faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you always bless the reading of your word. I pray this morning that you would bless the teaching of your word, that you would speak through me. Give me clarity. Give us all understanding as we study your word this morning together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, 
to look at where we're going, let's take a moment and look at where we've been as we've gone through this, um, this series through Ephesians. Um, <clears throat> first, we talked about um, to make Jesus a higher priority in your life, you need to love him more. And to love him more, you must know him better. And, and so, um, for those that are maybe just joining us or, or um, you know, haven't, haven't been with us for this whole series, one of the things that we talked about is, one of the things that I'm trying to address with this series is that, and this isn't, necess- this isn't the angle that Paul was going at, he had, just, like, this, the church was a brand new thing, and, um, and so, anyway, that's not important. Um, something that I see in our culture, something that... Um, you know, I've maybe at times struggled with it, even in my own life, and I, and I see in, in uh, not just my generation, but all over today is, um, particularly after COVID with all the shutdowns and everything, some of us discovered that the things of God, whether it be church and the body of Christ and the, 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 the life of the church or, or different things like that, um, we, we kind of discovered didn't hold the priority place in our lives that we thought that it did before. When, when things like church were taken away from us, everybody kind of unplugged, um, partly because we all kind of had to. But then when the opportunity came to come back, it became really easy to, we're just being really careful or, you know, whatever excuses people use. But, but it, it just became really easy. And then all of a sudden, Boom, it's been like two years since I've, since I've been to church, and all of a sudden it's like, I didn't want this to be true of me, but I'm discovering this to be true of me. And I used the example of being a Buckeye fan and moving out of Ohio and suddenly realizing that I maybe wasn't as big of a Buckeye fan as I thought I was um, when it became, when all of a sudden it was on me to know anything about who they're playing and whether or not they're winning or losing. Um, and so similarly, in the body of Christ. And so that, that was kind of the introduction. And as we talked about that, to make Jesus a higher priority in our lives, we've got to love him more. But to love him more, we've got to know him better. And then we looked at how knowing Jesus better opens up our eyes to the hope, the riches, and the power of God. And I promise you, you can go back and listen to it. That was not a prosperity gospel sermon, I can assure you. But there's hope in the gospel. There's riches that are part of being part of God's family and power through his Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. And knowing Jesus also begins with believing who he is and what he did for you. Talking about salvation by grace through faith. There's nothing we bring to the table. And, and we, we kind of expound on that the following week. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nobody, nobody it, it, when we come and ask God for forgiveness of our sins, nobody is a little closer to that than the person next to them. We all come equally undeserving of salvation and equally receiving forgiveness through the blood of Christ. And then last week we looked at how individualism is a disease in the church. It causes us to miss out on the best ways to experience and express the love of Christ, which is through the church. And so this morning I, I want to I zero in on this, these, this passage here, the beginning of chapter 4, and we're going to see how to walk worthy is to walk together. The Christian is incomplete without the church. And so, so let's, let's dig into the text here, and this passage starts with a therefore. 
Well, you know, we have to ask, what's it there for? Which means we got to back up slightly. And um, therefore, okay, so, so the last thing we read is kind of this beautiful benediction from the Apostle Paul as he is um, just talking about the, the, the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. So that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond or far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore. I want to read to you um, a note that Charles Spurgeon wrote on that passage, because that, that whole adoration of who God is and what he's done for us is what sets up this unity piece that he's talking about. And so if we're going to talk about how important it is for us to, be, to have unity and peace and all of that within the body of Christ, we've got to look at what is it that we're being called to be unified about. I, I like to joke that uh, nothing brings people together like a common enemy, Right? Oh man, <laughs> you find two people hating on the same thing. Man, they're like they're like brothers. You know, it's like the closest you've ever felt to somebody. Um, and uh, I want to I want to challenge us that that is a fragile alliance at best. Charles Spurgeon wrote here. In our text, we have adoration, not prayer. Adoration, not even so much the act of praise as the full sense that praise is, okay, break this down. Not just the act of praise, but the sense, the full sense that praise is due and far more of it than we can render. Adoration is not seeking the divine presence, but conscious of it to an unutterable degree and therefore full of awe and peace. Adoration is the fullness, the height and depth, the length and breadth of praise. Adoration is to prostrate yourself in the dust, in humility, and yet to soar aloft in sublime thought, to sink into nothing, and yet to be so enlarged as to be filled with all the fullness of God. That I feel like it's just a powerful way of putting this thing that we are called to be unified under. If we are unified, if we are united under a, a common understanding that we all came to the cross equally undeserving, equally in need of a Savior, it's really hard to look down your nose at the person next to you that really needs Jesus. Like, that's, that's a, oh, man. Like, we say that kind of jokingly sometimes. If you've never heard people say that, that's like this. Like, oh, the more I think about it, the more I hate it. It's like one of these, uh, one of these Christian, Christian things that we say. And it's a way, it's a way of, of expressing, you need saved worse than I do. You need Jesus more than I do. I'm better than you. You need Jesus. Here's the reality. We need Jesus, all of us, equally. 
That piece that, that Ethan preached on a couple of weeks ago, about for by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. When God does something, he purposely does it in a way that nobody else could have had anything to do with it. He wants it obvious. Like when he brings his people out of Egypt and brings them through the Red Sea, he purposely brought them to that place where the only escape could come from God himself. When when Jesus hung on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin to, as the scripture says, become sin on our behalf, it was to work a salvation that could only be done by God himself. And so it's so important that we always remember, when I came to the cross, I came with empty hands. I brought nothing to the table to contribute to my own salvation. That is the piece. When we, when we keep that in front of our minds, it is so much harder to look down our nose at the person next to us. It's, it's, it, it helps us have this bond of peace that he says. And so I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, encourage you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And if we stop right there, you could preach a whole sermon on how important it is to walk, that is to live your life in a way that is becoming of a Christian, to represent God well in this world. Something I always say after the benediction, when I, whenever I do it and close the service, I say, let's go and be his witnesses because that's the mission that, we are on, that we're on. That's our, our job in this world is to be his witnesses. A whole sermon could be preached right there. I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. But, but while all of that is true, and it would not be wrong to do that, um, expository preaching is to simply make the point of the passage the point of the message. And the point of this passage is not that specifically. He will get into that in the, in the, in the latter part of chapter 4 next week. But specifically here, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called that is to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is the way that Paul is urging us in this passage specifically to walk. Gentleness, or, or some translations would say meekness. This is, this is beyond, some people... Some people have a, a, a loud and boisterous personality. Some people have a meek personality. This is not talking about the natural personality and um, encouraging you to change your personality or whatever. That, that's, that is beyond that. This is a, a meekness that comes from the Spirit of God, a meekness that comes with being a Christian, a gentleness of spirit, that has nothing to do with what kind of personality you have. This is a, a, a thing that God is calling us to have. Humility. I think we covered that. With patience. God, hurry up and teach me patience, please. That, that prayer, if you're praying that, um, you might be going about it wrong. Um, 
patience. The, the word that gets, that gets translated patience um, that we see, English, there is a reason that um, the, when the fullness of time had come, as the scripture says, that that's when Christ came and that's when the scriptures were written. There, there's one, I, I believe that one of the reasons the fullness of time was when it was was because if you waited until English was the like, you know, one of the more common languages in the world, uh, scripture would not be as specific. And, and when, when you look at the, the, the languages that, that scripture was written in, both Hebrew and Greek, there are, you know, we got one word for love. Love. Well, Greek has like four. And, and there's subtleties in that. And it's very specific. And, and patience means long-suffering, or, or as the old King James would put it, suffereth long. <laughs> you know, it, like to, to, to be willing to suffer an offense for a long time. To put up with something that is bothersome for an extended or perhaps indefinite period of time. That's not easy. Bearing with one another in love. There are, there are people that require extra grace. <laughs> and and I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to make any sideways comments about anyone. Um, this isn't, isn't the place for that. But it's funny, sometimes I'll be having a conversation with someone and they'll express some, maybe they'll express some frustration about another individual and, and I'll see it from a different angle and, and I'll, I'll just encourage them and say, you know, I, I just, I don't know, I just don't see it that way. I, ha- I have, like, I get, I get why that's annoying, but I just have, I just have a lot of grace and compassion for that person because, like, They've been through this, and I don't, I don't always say that if it's not appropriate to share, but like, you know, sometimes it, it just requires a different perspective, and, and understanding where someone's coming from sometimes gives you a little more grace. You realize, well, like, oh, I don't know why this person can't get their act together. Well, um, they got saved like six months ago, so, you know, maybe, maybe give it some time to grow. Um, or... Circumstances in their lives have, have caused them to always see things a certain way. And so they're always going to initially treat people a certain way, but then that softens later. Anyway, my, my point with that is bearing with one another in love requires a willingness to have extra grace for people. And, and here's, here's the piece that plays into this whole unity thing. It's really hard to do that when you don't know the person. And one of the things that we are um, so urgently called to by the Apostle Paul in this passage is bearing with one another in love. Okay, to do that, we must know each other. And one of the things, we're, we're, I don't have any more slides. That's the whole slide for today. Um, but, but that we need each other. We, the Christian needs the church. The church needs its individual members. And it's likened here at the end as a body. Like, you know, imagine the picture of a physical body, you know, joined together with all of its joints and stuff. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're missing part of your body, you, you know, 
um, what that feels like to be missing an important piece. Um, or if you know someone who's, you know, an amputee or something like that that's experienced, experienced the loss of a member of their body, they feel that loss. And, and, and there is, the church needs its individual members because we all feel the loss. You know, God, God gave gifts, we, we look, we, we're going to look at later here, you know, he, he gives gifts to the church, gifts to individual Christians that, that build up the church. And we need kind of, we need all hands on deck all the time. You know, we, we kind of say that sometimes, like, all right, we got this event coming up, we're going to need all hands on deck for that. But the reality is the church needs all of its members all the time. And this is not a sermon about get your butts in church and, you know, make sure you're here whenever the, make sure you're here whenever the doors are unlocked. That's, that's not really the point. Like, I get it. I mean, one of our couples is, over on the East Coast with a, with a missionary friend of theirs, and I'm not, you know, holding that against them, but I do want everyone to make note of that. No, I'm kidding. Um, no. I, I get it. I get it. The challenge is to be part of the church, to know one another. How do you love someone if you don't know them? Okay, all right. I'll, I'll grant you that we ought to just love everybody, whether we know them or not. That's kind of general. But specifically, if you're going to, if you're called to bear with somebody and have extra grace for somebody, it's going to help you do, you're going to be helped in that a lot if you know them, if you have context for their lives. We've got to cover some ground here. Eager to maintain the unity in the spirit, unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Bond, the, the, the word there is, is something that ties together. Something that, that connects us. Think three-legged race sort of thing, except you can't undo it. Um, like we, we, ought to, we ought to long for that and be working toward that, that we are joined together. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord or master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And that, that, that is just talking about, like, if we can all agree on core doctrine, that's a lot of what he's addressing there. One hope. One, we're going we're gonna to sing a, a song at the, at the end called There Is One Gospel, which is kind of a new song, and it's kind of one of our favorites, so we keep singing it. Um, also, we're trying to learn it. Um, it takes us a lot of practice. There's one gospel. If we can all agree on these core doctrines, we ought to be able to worship together. One hope, one Lord. We serve one God. There's one faith. Everybody, we don't all have our own versions, or we shouldn't have our own little versions of of what it means to be a Christian, uh, Scripture tells us. And we place ourselves regularly under the teaching of the Word of God so that we can have unity in our understanding of that. Okay, moving on. But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. And, and, and he, quotes, uh, he quotes a passage in Psalms. He, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then he goes into this little parenthetical um, like when saying he ascended, it must have been the one who descended, and so that he who ascended descended also ascended. And it gets a little confusing. Let me just explain this one for you. Um, the point that he's making is 
First of all, this, this passage is talking about, um, it, it is, a, it is a, a passage in Psalms, um, and it's talking about David, but it's also foreshadowing Jesus. And we kind of find that out here in this, in this passage. But, but it, it, it's a picture of David coming back to Jerusalem as the conquering king. In fact, specifically, it was written of, of the battle when they recovered the Ark of the Covenant and were bringing it back to Jerusalem. And there was great celebration in that. Um, the, the, you know, he, he had like, you know, in, uh, I don't know if this is something we celebrate, but he like enslaved the, uh, you know, the enemies and, and, you know, was bringing them back. And, he, and, he, and then he, he gave gifts to men. Okay, so, so the way this would go is the victor would then divide the spoils among his, among his, his men, his army, his, his people. But then we find out that this is actually foreshadowing Christ. That when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Well, who were the captives in this case? Captives he had freed by his blood. Us, you and me. And gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to every believer for the building up of the church. Spiritual gifts. And that's, I love that. It's so cool when, when, when one of the, the apostles takes a, or, or when Jesus himself takes a, a little chunk from the Old Testament and explains how he's talking about him. It's like, I never would have seen that. And uh, it's really, I love when he does that. Um, the, the point about the whole ascending, descending thing, I'm just going to explain really quickly and move on. There, there's, a, there's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about how God, the Father himself, does not descend and ascend. He sits always on the throne. Whenever you see God the Father, he is always seated on the throne, which is really important for us in the, in the sovereignty of God and in our understanding of who God is to understand that he is always seated on the throne. He is never absent when we go to him. He is never not in control. He's never trying to work real hard to put out fires so much that he had to get up off his throne to do it. And yet, God himself came in the person of Jesus Christ. So we understand this to be God the Son, Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh. He descended to the earth and ascended back into heaven. Um, anyway, it's important to, to understand that because how can he ascend and be God if God doesn't descend and God is always on the throne? Anyway. That's it. That's the whole thing on that. Um, and he gave the apostles, verse 11, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And this, this is so important. So, so God gave to the church pastors. God gave to the church elders that would come alongside, you know, along with the pastor to help shepherd the people. God gave evangelists, people that would preach the gospel. God gave people understanding to teach the word of God. And there are, there are other spiritual giftings as well um, that, that we see in, um, in, other, in other books where, where God has given you know, special gifts to certain people that they didn't have before. And, and those gifts are always for the purpose of building up the church. 
I say that because that's, that's, a, that's important for us to understand. We would teach a, a position of um, a fairly strong position of cessationism. That's a big theological word, but not a complicated concept that, that we would believe that like some of the what, what are called sign gifts in the New Testament that we see um, have ceased. And, and there's scriptural support for that. And if you disagree with me, we can, I would love to circle up on that and just, uh, and not browbeat you, but just show you from scripture um, why we feel that way. But now that we have the completed scripture, we don't need we, we are no longer in need of because we are not lacking anything in the word of God. We believe in the sufficiency of scripture. And so since now we hold the completed scripture, um, it, it is no longer necessary for us to have one person prophesy or speak in tongues and then someone else um, interpret that to validate that, oh, yes, this is a message from God because we have all the messages that God needs for us to have right here. And... Um, we, we believe that in First Peter. He says, Your, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And we believe that God has revealed that through his word. Um, all spiritual gifting is for the building up of the church, for that we ought to can attain to this unity. And so, Here's why that's really important. If then, or I should say since then, when God saved you, he gave you a gift. And the purpose of that gift is to build up the church. How then can we exercise those gifts if we are not part of and committed to a local body of believers, the church? We, can't exercise, we, we literally can't exercise our spiritual gifts without being part of, really part of, the local church. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's a, there's a powerful lesson there. Sunday morning is not, let me say that again, Sunday morning is not the extent of or even the main thing of the local church. It is certainly an important piece that we gather together, we corporately worship, we study God's word together, we are are taught together. It's certainly important for us to gather this evening. We're going to gather together and and share the Lord's Supper. And Jesus commanded that we do that. And uh, we're going to have communion tonight. I hope you'll be able to join us at at 5 p.m. for that. Um, There will be food. So... I'm not just bribing you. We also think Jesus told us we ought to break bread when we do communion. But, um, but I'm also bribing you. Um, <clears throat> to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, this here within these walls is not even the main work of the ministry. We as individual believers are called to do the work of the ministry. To be excuse me, to be a light in the darkness, to be the hands and feet of Christ in that we are serving our neighbors, that we are, as we like to say here, inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. And that doesn't just mean inviting them to church. That means sharing with them, not only with your actions, but with your words, what it is that's different about you, what it is to believe 
in Jesus Christ and to have your sins forgiven and to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We are all called to do that. Now, if you bring your unsaved friend to church, I will share the gospel with them. I believe it's really important for us to always preach the gospel. And I don't mean shoehorn it in, but every passage is pointing to Christ and what he did for us. But also you should share the gospel with your unsaved friends. All right. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All right, one more note on that. One of the reasons it's so important for us to preach the gospel here regularly is, A, I never assume that I know everybody here and that everybody has come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and have their sins forgiven before God. I never assume that. It would be foolish of me to assume that. Also, it benefits the believer to regularly hear the gospel preached for several reasons. One, it reminds us, this, that whole part at the beginning about humility, it reminds us of how badly we need a Savior. And that without the blood of Christ, we would not be forgiven. And that we stand on equal footing in regards to salvation with everybody else. It, it, it reminds us of that regularly. And it also helps to equip us to share the gospel when we have heard it preached regularly. And so, anyway, if you wonder sometimes, why does he keep doing that? Like, can't he teach something a little deeper than the gospel? Well, um, yes, and we will also preach the gospel regularly. Um, so, hopefully, any of you that come here for a while won't say things like, well, I don't really know how to explain it. Well, just keep listening. Um, <laughs> all right. And here in verse 12 is where he says, for building up the body of Christ. That's what it's for. That's what the gifts are for. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, of the fullness of Christ, I think there, like that, that always gives me the picture of a, of, of a young man, a boy, size, you know, maybe a, a young teenage boy kind of sizing himself up to his dad. Like, you know, how tall am you know, I taller than dad? And in some families, that has to be uh, even younger because the, they're growing so fast. Um, but but, the, but the, that we are, as believers, metaphorically, we ought to be growing in our, in our stature as believers, that we ought to be maturing. The, the picture of a healthy believer in Scripture is not someone who makes a profession of faith and maybe joins the church and kind of levels off in their understanding of, of, of the word of God, their understanding of what it means to be saved, their, uh, their lifestyle, you know, nothing really changes. You know, something that I, I say a lot is that a faith that hasn't changed you probably hasn't saved you. I say probably because I can't see your heart and it's not my job to tell you I don't, you know, I don't think you're saved or whatever. You know, that's, that's not, that's, I can't see that. But if there's literally no evidence of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you, there's no movement of maturing and growing in our knowledge and, and stature to the fullness of Christ. If there's no movement in that direction, I just got lots of questions. And so we ought to be we have to be growing so that we may no longer be children. And what he means by that is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine so that we don't get suckered into false teaching. 
And here's the thing, and, and you know, we, we saw this, we saw this with, with some people close to us um, during the pandemic. Everybody's watching church on TV, and you know, maybe you watched, maybe you watched your home church on TV, and then you'd flip over to uh, you know a church that did it really well. Uh, we would. Um, it, was, it was some friends of ours that were helping plant a church in Canada, and we'd kick over to their live stream. And one of those guys is my church planting coach. Uh, hopefully, you'll have him as a worship leader for a couple weeks coming up. But, um, but it was also really easy to, um, you know, let's go pull up one of these celebrity pastors' screen, you know, live streams. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, you find some trustworthy voices and you, are, you, are, you benefit from, you know, I, I like to read, you know, some of, the, some of the, the church fathers. This is my Spurgeon study Bible, so you know it's good. Um, or, you know, John MacArthur, you know, whatever, I, you know. And you can have issues with some of these guys. That none of them are perfect. But, but it, here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Some churches put on a really good show. Like a really good show. And if, and if you haven't grown in your stature and maturity as a believer, you may not catch when the show is really good, but the teaching is false. And someone, someone really close to, to my wife and I, um, she and her family uh, started getting involved with a church that, I mean, just, just straight up false teaching. I mean, 100% prosperity gospel. But they'd been unplugged from church for so long, they couldn't even see it. It was right, I mean, we, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not a good one. So we started watching a couple of services. We were like, oh, man, this is, this is not good. They got to get out of there. And to us, it was obvious. But to them, they, they couldn't see it. And, and that's, that is, I hope you see that, why it's so important to plug in, plant yourself, put some roots down, and be under the teaching of the word of God regularly so that we may no longer be children carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul dealt with this. Paul was planting the first churches in existence and he was already dealing with this. This is literally like the church's oldest problem. Paul was already dealing with people who were coming in behind him after he'd plant churches and say, oh, you heard about Jesus, that's great. Did you know you also need to like become Jewish too? Like if you really want to be saved? And Paul was like, hold on a second, hold the phone. Nope, we, we all circled up and talked about that. That is not what needs to happen. And, and you know, so, so at first it was like the Judaizers, that's what they called me. You know, this, this group is like, yeah, you also need to become Jewish. And then there was this other group, the, the, the Gnostics, that were like, oh yeah, yeah, Bible, that's really cool. Did you know there's hidden messages in there? And there's like even more truth? And Paul's like, nope, the point of scripture is so that you can know. God is not in the business of hiding secret knowledge about himself in his word. The whole purpose of his word is to reveal things about himself to you. And so Paul's dealing with that. You get the Judaizers over here and the Gnostics over here, you know, the secret knowledge. And, and, and here's the thing. If you're not regularly under the faithful teaching of the word of God, and I don't say that in a way like pat myself on the back, like I do such a good job around here. Like that, but that, that, that's the weight of my responsibility as, the, as, your, as your pastor and teacher to faithfully, rightly handle the word of truth, you can spot that kind of thing. You can immediately say, red flag, that's not, that's not right. 
And it is important that we don't stay children. We all start as children, both physically and spiritually. We all started somewhere, and you can only start from where you are. And, and, I'll, and I'll kind of close with this. This is why it's so important. And he, he, go, he goes on to talk about the, the body being joined together, and, and this, is, this is what I want to say about that. This is why one of our values of neighborhood church that we, you know, obviously we value it. It's one of our values. Um, we journey together. We journey together. The, 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 the Christian life is best lived in community. Spiritual growth happens best in community. God brings us into his family so that no one has to face anything alone. And here's the thing, you can only start from where you are. You can wish you were further along. Oh, I've been saved a long time, I should know better. Okay, but you can only start where you are. And part of this humility and part of this unity and part of this bearing with one another in love, the way that ought to play out in the local church is that those that are further along in their Christian life and who have matured to a, 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 a greater measure of the fullness of Christ, and, and none of us will get there on this side of eternity. Can we just say that? We won't quite get there. But those that are further along have a responsibility to come alongside those who have some growing to do. And those of us that have some growing to do, which is all of us, um, have a responsibility to put ourselves in these relationships. Find someone in your life that you can look at and say, I want to be that kind of Christian. And then, like, staple yourself to that person's coattails and follow them, like, metaphorically speaking. All right, I don't have to get weird about it, but... Follow that person. Regularly do coffee or breakfast or whatever you do with, with that person and, and ask the questions and study the word of God together. Read scripture together and how can I grow? We have a responsibility. Our spiritual growth is our responsibility. And journeying together is so important because and, and it can only happen if our relationships with each other go beyond this, beyond Sunday morning. This, this can't be it. If this is the extent of your relationship with church or your um, relationship with the body of Christ, you're like, you're, you're, it's, it's not what Paul's talking about. It's not just what Paul's talking about. Yes, we need to worship together, but we also, we gotta do life together. We gotta journey together. To walk worthy of that calling is to walk together. A Christian is incomplete without the church. We pray with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, we, um, we need your spirit in our lives. We need, we need that extra measure of grace so that we can show others an extra measure of grace. This spirit of unity and the bonds of peace Bearing with one another in love is hard to do. God, you know it's hard to do in our own families with the people we're related to. People that, are, are, that we're married to or that are, that are our own children. God, you know that even that is difficult. Let alone people that were at one time strangers to us. So God, give us Give us a measure of that gift of grace 
Give us the spirit of humility and meekness, patience with one another. So that rather than just demanding that of others, we can show that to others. God, thank you that you are the God who conquered. You are the God who gives gifts. You are the God who is always seated on the throne. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.